Here's the first question. Did Paul get to preach to Caesar? Well, this was a question that was asked about the very, very last talk of the book of Acts that we looked at last year. And the question is, did he actually preach to the most powerful man in the universe? Now, we kind of don't know because it's not written in the Bible, because Acts finishes at chapter 28 at the end of that section and we're kind of left hanging. But if I remember rightly, Jesus said it was definitely going to happen. And so the answer is yes, it definitely happened. We don't know all the details, but he said to Paul, you will preach to Caesar. And so we can be sure that that happens. Question two and question three I'm going to take together. Question two is this. What happens after Acts in the timeline of the Bible? And question three, what happens to Paul after Acts and is there a book of the Bible on it? Well, I'll answer both of these questions at the same time. According to a helpful little article that I read, it seems likely that the time in history when Paul was in Rome and he was there stuck in prison for two years was 60 AD. Okay, so you think about the crucifixion of Jesus is 32 AD or around about 30, depending how you time it. So 60, it's about 30 years after that. He's there in prison. What happens next? Well, we're not totally sure, but... There happened to be a church historian of the 4th century called Eusebius, good name for a kid. He wrote, Tradition has it that after defending himself, the apostle was again sent on the ministry of preaching and coming a second time to the same city, suffered martyrdom under Nero. Uh, It seems that what happened to Paul was that he spent two years there in prison and then he went out for probably another two years going around preaching and teaching and doing his stuff. And while he was out there, he would have written the first letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, and the letter to Titus. And in fact, to Timothy is the one where you basically get his last words. And he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and I basically, my time's up. And then it is. And so around 64 AD, it seems likely that he was then killed under the Emperor Nero. After that, what happened? Well, a very significant time in the life of God's people was the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, It's such a big event that you'd think that if many of the letters of the New Testament were written after that, they would have mentioned it, but they don't. Except possibly, I think it's likely that the book of Revelation was written after AD 70. Question four, three to come. How did the other disciples not figure out that Judas had left to betray Jesus? That's a good question. Well, uh, this question and the next one come from the great talk that uh, Graham Merrington gave about the Lord's Supper. And the question is basically is, why did the other disciples not get the message that Judas was the bad guy? Well, we don't have to guess because we're told in the Bible. John 13, we read, Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. And then we read in verse 29 to 30, since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival, to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. They didn't realise that Judas was going to betray Jesus. They didn't realise why he slipped out. They actually thought he was going to go out and do something good with the money. 
Turns out he was going to do something bad with the money. Uh, well, in fact, he was going to be paid, and the rest is history. Question five. Since they ate roast lamb at the Last Supper, should we also eat lamb at the Lord's Supper? Well, I'd be in for that. Uh, <laughs> the reason that we model our last, our Lord's Supper on uh, the, uh, that we only have um, the bread and the wine is because we model it on 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in that letter, Paul tells us what Jesus said, and then he says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's why it's just bread and wine. Although there are some Christians uh, and, uh, who will meet once a year and have a Passover meal. And so they'll get together and they'll have the unleavened bread and they'll have the lamb with the extra spices and all the stuff. And, and, and I kind of, I've never done it, but I kind of like the idea of it. We, we could even think about doing it one Saturday night after church around about the Passover, just putting a heads up there. But what you do is you come together and you say, we are remembering something extraordinary, which is the, the salvation that came with the time of Exodus. But now there's a greater one, which is the salvation that came through the cross. And so you sort of match them in together and it's an excuse to have lamb. So there you go. Two to come. Should we be specific when we pray or can we just mention someone's name to God? Yeah, what do you think about that? I just scratched my head a little bit about that one. Well, here are a few verses that have informed me. Just before Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer, have a listen to what he said. He said, Matthew 6, 7, When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So it's not like God's going to sit there and be, be taking orders at a restaurant and have no idea what you're going to want. Like, he knows what you want, and that's a great comfort. And if you go out and do really fancy stuff, it's not like he's going to say, oh, I'm really going to go out of my way to answer their prayer. That doesn't work. And then Romans 8.26 says something interesting. It says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. As, so there's something that happens when we are led by the Spirit to talk to God. It's the Spirit who is involved in the process. And so even if you don't have the words to say, there's a, the work of the Spirit will bring your own requests to God. It's kind of like when you go, ah, it's like, nah. it's not like God saying, say something I don't understand you. It's like he knows exactly what we're saying. But having said that, we read that Paul describes his prayer time at various times, but one in particular in Philemon. He says this, Philemon 4 to 6. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, and I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. You see, when he is praying for Philemon, he's praying to God about this guy, mentioned his name, and says, specifically, God, here are some things I want to bring to you, some specific prayer requests. He's not kind of just going, uh, Philemon, ah. It's kind of, he's got specific things to bring to God. And I think there's a, a good model there. Well, when we're leading prayers in church, we, it's probably good to not just say, 
we remember so-and-so, we remember so-and-so, but, but actually to pray to God specific things about that person. And that's why we are very thankful to God. Uh, don't often mention it, but the hard work every week that Trevor puts in, putting together the prayer sheet with all those little requests, it gives us specific things to be praying for, and that's a good thing to do. Uh, finally, how do you be strong when things are hammering you down? Well, when you're feeling weak, hold on to the promises of God. Now, that might sound a little bit trite, but this is one of the reasons why it's really good to memorise Scripture. You see, if you're really in a hole, if you're really down in the dumps, if you can just remember, you know, some of those verses where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a great one, isn't it? Now, through all things, God works for the good of those who love him. What are some other little ones? You might memorise them. Stick them on the fridge or on the toilet door or, or on the back of your pencil case or wherever it is on your dashboard of your car and memorise these things so that when, you're, when you feel like you're, you've run out of steam, you can actually bring these promises from God. But I think the other thing we've got to realise is the reason you come to church is not so that God will say, oh, okay, I'm marking the role. I might let you into heaven a bit more than I was last time. It doesn't work that way. We come together to encourage each other. And so if you're feeling awful and you're, 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 things are hammering you down and you think, I don't think I've got enough energy to come to church because I'm in a hole, let me say to you, that's a reason you need to come to church. We read in this great verse from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Great questions. I love questions. Ask me some more and I'll answer them next week.